live from the District of Columbia. You are listening to the Black Fundraisers Podcast, a weekly podcast that celebrates, inspires, and equips black fundraisers to excel and positively impact black communities with your host, Kia Kroon. Good day, good people. I am Kia Kroon, the founder and host of the Black Fundraisers Podcast, your weekly podcast that celebrates, inspires, and equips Black fundraisers to positively impact Black communities. I want to thank you for tuning in because I know you got options out here in these podcasts online streets. So thank you. Visit me online at www.kiacroom.com to connect with me and find out what a sister's been up to in this fundraising and philanthropy world. Check out the Black Fundraisers podcast video podcast on LinkedIn or on YouTube. I think it's given, but I want to hear from y'all. Let me know what you think. Enjoy. Good people. On today's episode, I am joined by Jeff Scheifels, senior partner at the Veritas Group, which is renowned for its incredible body of work and best-in-class pedagogies for mid-level and major gift fundraising. Jeff shares his fundraising journey and talks about his very public, personal, racial reckoning that he experienced following George Floyd's murder. Plus, we get into the new Hallmark Black Fundraisers Podcast and Veritas Group Partnership, which will bring you best-in-class online fundraising courses, including an upcoming course, How to Start a Major Gifts Program. And I am personally encouraging you to sign up. It will give you the foundation tools and tactical strategies necessary to create a banging major gifts program that will thrive. And I couldn't be more excited to collaborate with the Veritas Group to deliver this rich content to you. So check the show notes for details and go on and sign up because we go live October 11th, which is next week. See you soon, y'all. Please stand by as I bring Jeff to the Black Fundraisers podcast stage. Hello, Jeff. How are you? It's so glad to have you on the Black Fundraisers podcast. Welcome. Thank you, Kia. It's great to be here. This is going to be fun. So This is going to be here. a delight. And can I say that on the Black Fundraisers podcast, we walk the walk and talk the talk because you are the first white male to step foot on the Black Fundraisers podcast. Wow. Yeah. I'm honored and a little nervous. <laughs> We're inclusive here, so don't be nervous. You're in good company. This is uh, our tribe, you know, fundraisers from across the world, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So, Jeff, let's start off. Tell us a fun and little-known fact about yourself, my friend. Here's a little-known fact that people don't know, is that I studied Gregorian chant in Italy when I was in my early 20s. 
And people that know me today would like not know this at all. Okay, so you've got to tell us what that is. I don't know what that is. Gregorian chant? It goes back way back to like the 14th, 15th century. The church was basically the Catholic church back then. That was it. And it was the first forms of uh, singing psalms um, that the church had choirs and individuals would sing. And so if you look it up, go to Spotify and look up Gregorian chant and you will you will get all kinds of great things. But it's just a form of very contemplative, meditative music that I was fortunate enough to study in Italy in for the major cathedrals in Italy. And then I also got to sing for the Pope back then. So it was pretty cool. Pretty cool. Yeah. That is a fun and interesting and little known fact and very interesting. It sounds like a, a form of worship. Is it safe for me to say that? Yeah, it absolutely is. Okay. A form of worship. And y'all know I get my. Yeah. I got my tambourine. I get my worship. I, uh, you're going to get hooked on Gregorian chant now. I'm really excited. Okay, now. <laughs> okay, now. Hold my mule. <laughs> so, Jeff, I have been a student of the Veritas Group at various phases of my fundraising career. I've taken a class here or there. I didn't always have the coins now, you know, to do the whole kid and caboodle. So I think that I've probably been... One of your repeat client students that has taken advantage of a variety of discounted course offerings. And I'm not abashed to say that. No, I love it. Yeah, I found it to be really insightful, really best in class strategies. And I'd love to hear the backstory about the Veritas Group. If you'd indulge me and the good people listening and share a little bit about how you got into development and fundraising and how the Veritas Group Academy came about. Yes. Okay. I'll give you the quick one because it's a long, you know, I've been in this for 32 years. So there's a story behind all of that. But I originally got into fundraising by mistake because I, I was just fresh out of college. I had moved to Philadelphia to actually work with kids in public housing. I needed a part-time job. So I called this Christian Peace and Justice magazine called The Other Side. And I called them because I used many of their articles for papers I did in college. And I knew they were in Philadelphia. So I just called them out of the blue and I said, hey, do you have any jobs? I'd, I'd love to come work for you. And they said, well, actually, we need a fundraiser. And I said, I have absolutely no experience but I'm willing to learn. And they said, well, come over and let's talk. I did. And I got this job. And I learned how to do fundraising by you know, doing free seminars, reading anything I could, making tons of mistakes. But I learned how to do fundraising for a cause that I really believed in. And I was hooked immediately into fundraising. I love the idea of being able to help people give away their money to something that was really important to them. And it grabbed me immediately. So I did that for six years. 
And then I got another job at a, a larger nonprofit in Philadelphia, working with people with disabilities. That experience gave me even more understanding of major gifts and corporate giving and United Way stuff and all and events and all of those things. And then I finally got, I got, uh, after a couple of years, I got a call from this company called Domain Group based in Seattle. And they said, Hey, we've, we want you to consider moving out here to actually be an account director to work on a number of our clients. And we, I moved the whole family to Seattle from Philadelphia. And that's where I learned everything about direct response fundraising, the discipline of that, of that type of fundraising. And that's where I met Richard Perry, who was at the time the owner of, of Domain. And for 12 years, I got to work on some incredible accounts all over the country, working with Feeding America, the Arthritis Foundation, American Cancer Society, all kinds of amazing nonprofits in direct response. But at the same time, Richard was also starting to notice there were clients that we were doing so well on the direct response side, but on the major gift side, they were just failing. So Richard really started to develop a conviction around major gifts using the discipline of direct response fundraising, meaning really looking at data to drive strategy, looking um, at uh, having strategic plans, having uh, schedules, and being very disciplined about meeting. And all the things that we did on the direct response side applied to major gifts and started working with a few of our clients. And they saw tremendous success with as a very disciplined approach to major gifts, which was all helped to set up having authentic relationships with donors. That's what it was about. That they sold domain. And two years later, I joined Richard because he kept the major gift part of the business. And we rebranded his personal consultancy on major gifts to Veritas in 2009. And it was just the two of us. And I didn't have any clients or anything. And I just started getting out there and talking to people. And we got my first client, started working on their major gift programs, and they just started thriving. And what I realized was that if we were going to get known about what we do and how we do this major gift work, we have to write about it. We have to let people know what we think about this work. So we created a blog and that blog, when we first started, you know, had one reader <laughs> and I knew someone at um, a fundraising publication. I said, Hey, if you like this blog, would you mention something about this? And she looked at, she goes, wow, this is really interesting is you're, you have a different approach, a fresh approach to major gifts. And she published a few of the blog posts in the magazine. And all of a sudden now we had like hundreds of subscribers to the blog. Well, today we have over 30,000 subscribers to the blog. Wow. We, we have a podcast. We've put out like 25 to 30 white papers. We've now written two books. And all of that has helped us generate business with serving over 80 nonprofit clients as a consulting basis. And 
Then we have this whole Bears Group Academy that you just talked about because in 2016, we were trying to figure out a way to get the what we call the Veritas way of doing major gifts and now mid and plan giving out to as many people as possible. But some people can't afford the consulting. So let's try to create these courses. So everything that we learned in the consulting side, we applied in these courses. And in 2016, we launched that. We had our first course. And I think we got like 100 people signing up. It was amazing. Incredible. Yeah. And so since then, we've we've been able to work with over 5,000 fundraisers all over the world who have taken our training. So it's it's a pretty cool story. We never set out like, oh, we want to do this. And, and in 10 years, we want to... We didn't do that. We we just wanted to produce good work. And we really felt that this approach to fundraising, which is very disciplined and structured, but all in the context of building real relationships with donors. And that if you did that, the money would follow. That's all we that's what we set out to do. And out of that, we've just haven't have had organic growth. It's been amazing. It's been so much fun. That's a great, great story. And it sounds like you, what I appreciate about the story is the fact that you, like many others that I talk to that do this work, it kind of found you. Yeah. I did not say I was going to be a fundraiser. I wanted to be a broadcast anchor. You were working with children and youth and trying to pay, keep the lights on. And is what I think I heard. Right. You know, you found you found something that would pay you just enough to pair passion and financial solvency for your household. Right. And that's exactly it. And in my like my LinkedIn summary, I say I didn't pursue a career in fundraising. It found me. So I always love those stories about how this work just pulls you in. I feel like the work gives you a big hug and you just kind of, you know, like this just feels right. That's the way this work feels to me every day. Yes, that's exactly what happened. I said that that work just grabbed me grabbed me. It was like, this is something. Because I, I, I was going to be a inner city high school history teacher. That's what I really wanted to do. And then I, <laughs> I, I, I just bumped into this and it, I just like, I, I've got to do this. This is so much fun. I feel myself doing this work. Lord to bless, because I have a high school student right now in his last year and I don't envy anybody who's working with those jokers, you know, at that age. That's a very admirable cause, too. But no, that's a great story. And I'm very familiar with some of those books, The Veritas Way. One thing that sticks out to me is the permission-based asking model. And I'm going to let you in on a little secret. Since the pandemic took place and everyone was home working when this is back in April of 2020, March of 2020, when I was trying to figure out, okay, how are we going to do this in a virtual environment? 
trying to do my Zooms and my phone calls with my major donors. And I remember printing, <laughs> just typing in a Microsoft Word doc, permission-based asking, right? And I've taped it on my little window because I have this marvelous view of this huge tree in front of my bedroom window where a lot of the magic happens that good people listening that you hear and see, and even you too, Jeff, this is where the magic happens, okay? In my bedroom, this is my executive office. And (laughs) so I taped that to my window just to remind me to use that approach in my line of questioning with the donor. So good people listening, it's good stuff. I've tried it. It's true. I've had very encouraging results. And and Jeff, I want to let the good people in on how you and I got acquainted. Okay. Yeah, let's do that. We talked about it a little while ago when I joined the Veritas Group's podcast, and he was modest and didn't plug it, but it's called the Nothing But Major Gifts podcast. We did a fabulous episode together, and good people listening, I'm going to pull that episode and share it in the show notes so you don't have to look for it. I got you. We had a very candid conversation about my experience participating in your major gift academy. You offered this particular academy right in the eye of the pandemic, right? And during that time, George Floyd was murdered. We saw it. You saw it. I saw it. People across the country, people across the globe reacted to this I don't even have the words to describe it. This inhumane murder of this black male in plain view, videotaped, you know, it's etched in our minds and in our ears forevermore, right? And folks across the globe took to the streets in protest of racism, racial injustice, white supremacy, police brutality. They were masked. They were unmasked. I just remember so much pandemonium. And I remember logging on to one of the trainings. And I remember everyone was talking candidly about their experiences with COVID and the conversations they were having with donors. And I remember hoping that you or a member of the team would weigh in and acknowledge the events around George Floyd. And I remember feeling disheartened, if I can just be completely candid and transparent. I remember feeling deeply disheartened, and I felt an uncomfortable wrench in my stomach, like a knot in my stomach, when there was no discussion of these events. And I'm going to be honest with you, I completely disengaged with the content I had a black female counterpart. She and I were both in the class. It was one of those. You were generous. You all said, you know, pay what you can. And I think we 50, 25 bucks. Look, just being honest, we paid what we could at the time. But I remember we talked and we just talked about how it felt not to have that conversation. Because you've been very public 
about your reckoning you experienced both personally and professionally in your DE&I journey since receiving this feedback from me. And I'd love for you to take a moment and just react to this. What happened at that moment was I didn't know how to respond. I felt inadequate. I mean, this was like a huge moment, not this is a huge historic thing that happened that had to be addressed. And we didn't do it. We were in, you know, we didn't do that right away. And that really shook me up personally, the whole thing. But I wasn't able to, at the time, know what to do publicly. And then I had a few people within my own company say, are we going to do anything? Are we going to say anything? And then that that really uh, made me start going inward and thinking about what, why, why am, why aren't we saying anything? We we should say something. I feel it. I you know it was incredibly painful. I knew that this was a moment that we could not let go and not say anything. And so I did a lot of reflection, personal reflection about. Why wasn't I reacting immediately to this? And why couldn't I do that publicly? And so I went on a journey from that start to really figure this out for myself because I always considered myself a progressive white person. You know, I went on, I did all the marches on Washington, all those things. So I would look at, you know, people could say, oh, you know, you're a pretty progressive white guy. <laughs> but that moment really shook me. And that's when I started doing my own, you know, my own analysis of myself and what is it? And it's like, I forgot. It's not the issues around equality to me were easy to talk about. Yes, everyone should be equal. But then I started wrestling with this Kia around equity. And what does that really mean? And as a white male, middle-aged white male, what can I do in my little part of the world to bring about that? Besides becoming more diverse as a company, you know, our company, we had maybe one person of color. And a big reason for that is because that's, we grew up our company of people that I knew. And because I'm white, I knew mostly white people. But all of that, that whole event shook me to realize we've got to make some changes, but not just for the sake of bringing people of color in and diversifying, but to understand that to do that is going to, is, will make our company better. We'll make what we do better for our clients. And so from that, you know, I've been on this journey. I've been doing the work, trying to do the work of, meeting people, making connections, meeting people like you, Kia, me, me, reading everything I can, podcast series on being white and, and seeing my own whiteness and my own privilege that many of us who are white have no clue about because we just live in this world oblivious to it. That event reawakened in me something that has now ch really changed the course of my life because it's now something that 
as a white middle-aged person, I want to be able to leave a legacy to create equity for people of color and women who might not have been able to do that, uh, being able to have that. And I have a little, you know, I have this company. That's what I have. And there's something I can do to create that equity. I'm going to do that. And so I have a whole plan over the next 12 to 15 years, Kia, of how to be able to to provide that. It's really changed my life. I can appreciate that, Jeff. And I thank you for being candid. I thank you for sharing your reflections around your journey, right? And owning some things, right? Because for my community and people of color communities, there's some lack of ownership that we still contend with on a day-to-day basis and that, that blindness. And I can appreciate that. And I appreciate you sharing those reflections. And I appreciate your acknowledgement that this is a journey. This is something that you commit to throughout your life as though you are a person in a recovery community, whether it's a, a gambling or a, um, alcohol or not, you know, like whatever we're dealing with, it's a, it's a linear journey, right? It's exactly it. You know, I've been reading articles recently, and I think one of them was one that you put up in LinkedIn recently around how diversity officers or chief diversity officers in companies now are all leaving. <laughs> you know, they're all hired Everyone made it, oh, we've got to have, you know, DEI. We've got to put some resources to this. And now, two years later, you're starting to see people disenfranchised and leaving those positions because those companies aren't committed anymore. And so, I I mean, I hear that. I I totally see. I knew that, you know, I I could tell that that was going to happen because that's how we, we react. And those that really care stick with it. and. You see what happens. And so I'm deeply committed. Yana, it's a daily thing. It really is. I'm forcing myself as a white middle-aged guy to put myself in places that I'm not comfortable. And what I'm finding out is that that's a good thing. It's a good thing for me to be uncomfortable and to learn and listen. It, it's changed me and it's changing how we think about all this in our company, Yes, we've become more diverse in our staff, but beyond that, we are a, a safe place. We are a place that we can talk about these issues. It's not just, oh, we have now more people of color. That's not it. It's, are we a place that people of color and all of us can thrive and grow and take leadership positions? And so, I mean, it's, it, 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 you're right. I mean, it's a, it's a journey, but it's, it's one that I'm really excited to be on because I feel like now I'm at, I'm 57 and I feel like this is, this is a legacy that as a white guy, cause you know, as I said in our podcast together, white men got us into this stuff and it's going to be white men to help get us. In. And I, really believe that. It can't be on you to do this. It's got to be with the people that are in the 
positions of power and privilege to be able to recognize that and say, we've got to turn this around. We've got to change this. And I want to be part of that solution. Thank you. I appreciate that. So, Jeff, you're a fan of the Black Fundraise Podcast, and, you know, we have the bonus round where we get into hip-hop, culture, all things rap, and you were very transparent, and you're okay, you know, that's, that's not my lived experience, or as my grandmother would say, that's not my zhuzh, you know, <laughs> um, that's what she would say. And, you know, I can respect it. We're not going to rap shame you. I don't know if that's a thing, you know, but we're not going <laughs> to do that here. Okay. Yeah, I you're, appreciate you're, that. We're not going to do that here. We're inclusive and you still get to come to the cookout. Okay. You're welcome <laughs> that's awesome. to the cookout. Okay. Yeah. Just, just bring some uh, hot dogs or something. Um, you know, we, we, we'd have to see the potato salad now. We'd have to. You know, at the cookout, black folks are funny about the potato salad. But you bring the hot links or the hot dogs, but yes. you're invited. So, but seriously, on the Black Fundraisers podcast, we celebrate culture. We celebrate all things black, including the black church, which has been the bedrock of our community for centuries. And as you can hear, I got my tambourine. I keep it handy because throughout the day, I have to pick up the garment of praise, you know, in this line of work and not the garment of despair and 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 hold my heels. You know, that's my mantra. So I'd love for you to take a moment and just share your lived experience with the black church. Tell us about it. So give you context how white I grew up in my high school. Our high school dances were polka dances. Polka music. <laughs> All right. So just so you have that context. <laughs> but my first experience with real black music was when I was seven years old. I lived in Omaha, Nebraska. My dad was in the Navy and we were stationed there. Omaha, Nebraska. And my parents, we didn't have a lot of money. And so every Sunday they had these free concerts on Sundays in the city and we go to them. And this particular one, I, as a seven-year-old realized this looks different. We quickly found out we were the only white family in this, out on this, on this lawn. And it, you know, for me, it was fine, but I just realized, Hey, um, no one here looks like me. And on the band shell was this, black blues soul funk music coming out that kind of sounded similar to my parents rock and roll when i was seven years old it was different it had soul it had something different and i just remember the experience of that going wow this music is amazing and I, that was just me at seven 15 years later growing up I was into music in my church, my Catholic church. I, I sang in the choir and I was a cantor for 35 years in the church. Okay, no kidding. So I sang and I was up in front and I led people in music. But when I was 21, I went to Philadelphia from St. Cloud, Minnesota, Philadelphia, to work with kids in public housing, tutoring and doing after school programs and that kind of thing. And one, one of the things they had was a church that all, anyone could come to. 
And so we had a lot of kids come to this church. And because of my background, I was asked by the pastor to lead the music. <laughs> I had no. And then he goes, and then they said, and here's the song, Songs of Zion book for you. <laughs> and we had one piano and an 88, bless her heart, 88 year old black woman who was such a great piano player. And she was amazing to me because here I was, this 21 year old white kid from. St. Cloud, Minnesota. And here I was leading a church of black youth in music. I knew nothing. And so she said, come every time we do this, come an hour ahead and I'm going to teach you these songs. And so she taught me all the black spirituals in the songs of Zion book. And I just absolutely came to love them. And it came part of my spirituality. And it is today. It's like, those words, the music, the the soul and spirit of that music sits with me today. And it's I was so lucky I was able to be exposed to that and to experience that and to get to know these songs and to sing them and then to go in black churches. I went to uh West Philadelphia Baptist Church. Was great sitting in those pews listening to this music that I was trying to learn and, but hearing it from a black choir, it was like a completely different experience. That's my experience with black music, black spirituals. It's been an incredible blessing in my life. This is good stuff. So you got some good old gospel, is what I'm hearing. You got some hymns. I will trust in the Lord. I will trust in the Lord till I die. Y'all better not talk about my singing. You got something to add. <laughs> All right. How about this one? Not my brother, no my sister, but it's me, oh Lord, standing in the need of prayer. Hey, come on, Jeff. It's me, it's me, it's me, oh Lord, standing in the need of prayer. Yep. Hey, that's good stuff. Well, Jeff, I want to tell you, this has been an absolute delight. I'm going to see you at the cookout. Oh, yeah. Hey, you at the cookout. And I just want to thank you for stopping by the Black Fundraisers podcast, hanging out with us. Good people listening. You can count on me to share the details of the how to Start a Major Gift Program course. As I shared with you, registration is open now. This is a collaboration that I'm so proud of, proud to collaborate with Jeff and team to bring this best-in-class course to you. I'll share all the deets, so don't you worry your pretty little heads. Jeff, is there any final words you have for the good people listening? Oh, gosh. I would just say... Don't lose heart if <laughs> in this in this work. This is the toughest work you can do. Fundraising is really hard work. So keep at it and keep keep learning, keep growing. Just know that there will be bad days, but there are so many good days. So um, I just really appreciate everyone who's in this profession because I know how hard this work is and how much it drains you. Um, and continue to like keep pressing on with it. 
Somebody just shouted just there. <laughs> Somebody just shouted in their car, in their in their office, in their bedroom. Somebody's wondering why they just shouted. Well, good people listening, check out the course. You know what to do. You know how to reach me. I've shared with you how to reach Jeff, how to check out the various groups curriculum and courses. And until next time, good people, stay tuned, stay down and keep your head up. Thanks for listening to the Black Fundraisers podcast. Like what you're hearing. Subscribe to the Black Fundraisers podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify or wherever you listen and leave a five star review. Connect with Kia on LinkedIn, Instagram, and Twitter to stay connected.